Hello everyone, welcome to series two, episode one of Hear Her Out, the podcast which tells millennial women's stories. I'm Faye White, a journalist and a sexual violence activist, and I'm so excited to be back. I've got some great guests this series, and we're kicking off with none other than Bella Younger, who you may know best as Deliciously Stella. Bella is a writer, podcaster, and comedian, and she went viral back in 2015 for her hilarious clean eating parody Instagram account. But while she had crunchies strapped to her stomach, Bella was struggling with her mental health and became addicted to the dopamine hit that Instagram gave her. She went to the Priory for a month, but was still rehearsing for her Edinburgh Fringe show in between. Bella recently returned to Instagram and has now written a novel which she calls Bridget Jones Meets Black Mirror. In this episode, we talk all about her mental health journey from Stella to now, the importance of talking about your mental health openly and what's next for her. So now, over to Bella. I was working in television and I was interviewing lots of clean eaters for TV shows and I was also secretly planning to quit my job and go to the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. And I hadn't really told my boss or anything, I was trying to keep it really under wraps. And I met all the clean eaters and my boss said, you're the most disgusting person I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> and wouldn't it be funny if you did your own version of clean eating? And yeah, so I started Deliciously Stella, went away for the weekend and I was like, I'm going to try and make my boss, who's also called Faye, laugh. <laughs> and I came back at the end of the weekend and I'd already got sort of like 300 followers. Mm. And we were like, maybe just keep going. Like, maybe this is the way. So I started using it to publicise my comedy career. And then when I went to Edinburgh, I had audiences. When did you first decide that I want to make people laugh for a living? I think that it was always at the back of my mind. Mm. I think that everything that I did was for the story. Yeah. For a really long time. And then I was just like, you've just got to go. My parents live in Edinburgh, so it didn't seem like that crazy of a thing to do. And I was like, I'll just do an Edinburgh show. What's the worst that could happen? Mm. I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. So when you took it to Edinburgh, what happened? You had audiences. So for the first sort of three days, there was nothing. It was just completely empty. I was performing in the sort of basement of this pub in Marchmont, which is completely outside of the rest of the Fringe. Mm. And my friend who's a theatre producer came with me and she was like, we've got to make it a destination show, babe. (laughs) So we went on this mission to make it a destination show. My sister made sandwich boards with my poster on and she just walked up and down Edinburgh screaming wearing the sandwich boards. Mm. And somehow we managed to like sort of lure people in. And then it went amazingly well. Mm. I got an agent, it was great. But the show wasn't anything to do with Deliciously Stella. Mm. So the people who had come because of that were super confused. Mm. There was a lot of girls going, I just think Stella's funnier. What was your Edinburgh show about? It was called Champagne Socialist. Okay. And it was about how um, I come from a sort of dynasty of Tory MPs, Mm. and I'm quite left-wing, and I live in East London, and I was working at BBC, and um, it was about how I sort of pretended not to be posh at work. I think that sounds funny. It was really funny. I thought. My agent loved it. Yeah. But then everyone was like, Lizzie Sellett is the only thing that will ever do well ever again. Oh, God. But do you think it's just because it kind of came along at the right, right time, the right moment? I mean, it was great. It was amazing. It was the most incredible platform I could ever have been given Mm. but then it sort of consumed my life yeah so after Edinburgh you carried on going with Deliciously Stella yeah so after Edinburgh Deliciously Stella started getting really really big Mm. and I got a book deal when I was up there Mm -hmm. and then um yeah then I just carried on and then it went viral in BuzzFeed Mm. and I got 70,000 followers overnight oh my gosh it was mad what was it like when you woke up on that morning and looked at your phone and realised like that you had all of these notifications. 
I was at my parents' house and I was just with my little brother and he was just like, and I was like, ah, 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 I don't know what's happening. I turned my phone off because it just crashed because mm. I couldn't cope with all the notifications. And then I started getting emails from um, newspapers and I, I mean, I did a lot of interviews with newspapers in Russia, really loved it. Mm. And like, it was, it was just absolutely mad. And my parents couldn't really understand what it was. They didn't understand what anything was until I got asked to write for the Telegraph. Mm. And then they were like, oh, wow, this is a thing. <laughs> because that was something tangible that they knew. Oh, absolutely. But all my mum's friends love the Instagram account, but yeah. my mum just can't work it. She doesn't mm. understand what it is. Mm. And then that kind of started becoming a career for you. Yeah. So I started getting paid. Mm. to do Instagram posts. Yeah. Influencing. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't really do that anymore. Yeah. What was that like? It's like great because they pay you a lot of money to mm. do something that's not very difficult. Mm. But also, quite a lot of the time, I wasn't that comfortable with either the things I was selling mm. or the content they wanted me to make. Right. So they'll come to you and say, oh, tell us a joke. We love your content. Mm. And then they'll come back to you and go, but by the way, you can't imply that our brand is in any way unhealthy or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you're, you're a whipped cream company. Mm. And the whole point of my account is to make jokes about things being really bad for you. It was, it was just, it was complicated. So they just control it quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. And they just take all the humour out of it and then just expect you to just put it out there. Mm. And then they'd be angry when your followers didn't, respond to it in the way that they wanted to right and I was like well of course no one liked it it wasn't funny (laughs) so how long did you do that for I did that for quite a long time I did that for a couple of years just because the money was so good yeah and it kept me going while I was sort of doing all the other things and then when do you think you realized that social media started having a negative impact on your mental health it was it happened so quickly Mm. so so quickly so I think I've always been very, very anxious. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd always been sort of slightly on the edge of it getting quite bad. And then the Edinburgh show really, really took it out of me. It was exhausting. You know, I was flying all day, performing every night. It was huge amounts of pressure. And yeah, and then the Instagram account, when it was about, at about 20,000 people, mm-hmm. I was suddenly very aware that 20,000 people were relying on me to entertain them. And I'd committed to doing it every day, which is something that I decided to do myself. And I went away on this holiday with my friends and I suddenly realised that, you know, I was going to have to ask my friends to take pictures of me every day, which I think, you know, for most women, they're like, oh, that's fine. I was like, no, everyone's going to think I'm so weird and Mm. so vain and I can't cope. And I just lost the plot. I couldn't cope. I I had to leave, fly back to my parents' house and I I couldn't cope with it. It was too much. And then when you got back to your parents' house, did you tell them that you thought that it Instagram was kind of the cause well so my parents were on their anniversary holiday in Spain mm. and um oh no they were in Prague and I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna come home and they were like oh, what, are we, what are we dealing with here this is an absolute disaster so I got picked up at the airport by one of their friends I was wearing a bikini I'd really lost it by then mm. and I I think that I thought it was just like a backlog of the pressure of the Edinburgh show you flew home in a bikini I flew home in a bikini in a miniskirt yeah <laughs> I got escorted onto the aeroplane in like Malaga Airport because mm. I, I couldn't even get onto the plane. I was just bananas. And I got back and I got diagnosed bipolar over Skype. And I was like, great, cool. Got put on like really, really intense drugs. Mm. And you know, my parents were like, okay, fine. Like she's having a nervous breakdown. But I was adamant I had to keep up with the Instagram because I was like, this is my career. This is my one shot. If I don't keep doing this, you know, I'll never get an opportunity to be successful in comedy ever again. So I just 
kept posting. So I would go from sort of screaming to then, mum, can you just strap some crunchies to my front and take a picture? And it was absolutely mad, but my parents weren't able to say, don't do this, we think it's negatively affecting your mental health, because I never would have forgiven them if mm. I couldn't carry on doing it. And then what point did you kind of get to before you went to the Priory? Yeah. When I was in the Priory, I was still posting, so I was like, Dad, please can you bring some party rings into the Priory so I can make a joke about Whole Foods? <laughs> he was like, um, yes, I guess. And I think that at that point, social media hadn't become the sort of behemoth that it is now, so they didn't know that the social media was probably what was making me so ill. And they were just sort of tackling what they saw as just like a sort of traditional anxiety depression case. But I think I was genuinely addicted to the dopamine rush of likes. And that's what was controlling my whole life. And because people are very interested in fame and as it being sort of an all-encompassing good thing, mm -hmm. they were so obsessed with me not losing that that they were like, you can get an Uber out of the Priory and go and do a comedy gig. And then you can just get an Uber back and we'll let you out. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. We don't think that's problematic. And like you can miss some therapy sessions to practice your Edinburgh show because it's really important that you continue doing that. And they were just like, it's really important that you don't lose momentum in your career. But what was really so damaging was that I just needed someone to say, it's okay if it doesn't go that well. It's okay if it doesn't end up being what you think it could be. Like, mm. that will be fine and you will get over it. Yeah. But I was just sort of trapped in the woods. And do you think that your agent and people put too much pressure on you from doing that? I don't think that my agent really did. She she was like so lovely. She was the same age as me. We were sort of really going into it together and we had no idea what to expect. Mm. And she was like, just chill, do what you want. But I was putting so much pressure on myself mm. that I just I couldn't I couldn't get out of it. And also because when I was when I was outside of the priory and I was putting on a brave face, I seemed really fine. And everyone was a bit like, wow, she's just overreacting. But inside, I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And my doctors were like, this is absolutely not fine. Yeah, because I think, because you carried on doing the Instagram, you never would have known what was going on. Oh, no. Behind the So scenes. many of those photos are taken in hospital. Wow. It's mad. That's something that you would never know just yeah. by looking at it. Yeah. But then, how long were you in there for? In I was the there for a month. Mm. And then I sort of just came out and it was back to business as usual yeah I had a couple of months and then I went up to Edinburgh and I did my second show at Edinburgh which was a nightmare oh god so what happens at your second Edinburgh show I was just so not in in a place where I should have been doing it like I absolutely should have pulled out mm. but that didn't seem like an option was that deliciously stellar related that Edinburgh yeah show? it was deliciously stellar the show which was it meant that the whole thing sold out mm. which was good but also terrifying because I was getting like reviewers and there was just so much expectation and producers were going to be there yeah and producers came and everything but I knew the show wasn't where it needed to be I knew I wasn't mentally in a place to be doing the show mm. and so I almost sort of manifested it going badly mm -hmm. and I mean on the first night I was so nervous <laughs> that my sister gave me a clonazepam and I forgot how to speak oh god so I was just on the stage and I went <laughs> <laughs> and like it's not funny I shouldn't be laughing, it, it, it was quite funny but also really bad mm. and my um, my agent just had to go into the lighting box get my script and just bring it down and I just read the rest of the thing off my script and lots of my parents friends were there and they were like oh we thought that was part of the thing it was so funny and I was mm. like 
That was so bad and so unfunny. I remember going to go and talk to my agent after that first show and I was like, this is going to be a disaster. I don't know if I can do the rest. And she was like, the strength of the character will carry this. People love it enough. It will be fine. Mm. And it was fine. The reviews were fine. It was fine. So you didn't get any bad reviews from... No, I didn't get... Night. No, it was it was fine. It was pretty good. My PR was very good at choosing who came to review me. Right. So it was lots of, like, student newspapers, and they'd always send a girl who was very much a Deliciously Seller fan. Right. So I could have basically just, like, stood up, farted, and I would have got four stars. Yeah. So it was fine. Mm. But it was just harrowing, the whole thing. And when that was going on, were you still in the Priory, or were you just... No, I was... I, I was out, I was staying with some friends of mine in Edinburgh, mm. and they were just like, hmm, Bella's been a bit weird. And then I was also at my parents' house, my parents lived just outside in the countryside, mm-hmm. so I would just be getting on this tiny little rickety train, yeah. and just lying down like, at my, with my mum, yeah. and her being like, are you sure you want to carry on with this? I was mm. like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. It was not fine. Yeah. But also I feel that you been quite open about your mental health like you've written pieces for the telegraph and for vogue were you was it easy for you to be open with your friends about what was going on um i think it it just it got easier mm-hmm. i feel like i almost needed to be hospitalized to validate how i was feeling because i think there was a there was quite a lot of oh but i was just being a bit hysterical and i was like no this is so bad and it sort of, yeah, it definitely confirmed that I was as ill as I was saying that I was. Mm. And it was almost a bit of a relief. Um, but I think that it's very difficult to sort of impress how serious something like that is. Mm. Especially when you're someone like me and you defect, deflect everything through humour. Yeah. And all I want is for people to feel comfortable around me because I'm such a people pleaser. Mm. But you can't be a people pleaser when you're unbelievably ill. You're just not going to be fun to hang around with, and that's fine. When you were in hospital, what what was that kind of like? What what happens there? It's like it's a bit like boarding school, right? But with lots of medicine. <laughs> So there's lots of routine. You sort of get up at the same time and you have breakfast all in a sort of canteen. Mm. And then you go for sort of therapy sessions that are a bit like lessons. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, it's quite glam, I guess, because it's a private hospital. So there's like a gym and a pool and all sorts of jazz like that. Mm. But then there you were kind of able to work out maybe what was going on yeah exactly so you get sort of a lot of one-on-one time with incredible therapists and basically they monitor you and they can sort out your meds mm. that was the most important thing was just working out what medicine i'm very sensitive to drugs so everything that i took made me like sick or incredibly fat mm. or you know like one of them made me just shake constantly mm. and they just needed to be able to watch what's happening and be like no she can't take that one because she looks mental yeah but then when they told you over skype that you were bipolar what was that like for you i mean i don't think anyone should be able to diagnose anyone over skype probably not no i was like okay cool fine and because of the severity of the diagnosis i was like great that must be it because i feel so bad like he must be right Mm. and now that they know and they are going to put me on these really intense drugs I will absolutely get better. Mm. But because I actually don't think I was bipolar, what happened is I got got put on incredibly strong antipsychotics Mm -hmm. and I basically just like went to sleep. Right. I was just completely numb and I I got 
enormously, enormously fat. Oh, God. Very, very quickly. Yeah. Which is really alarming. Mm. Like, it's not, it's not nice. I just felt like I had no control over my body. Mm. And at this time, were you writing your book and you were planning your mm. end of the show? Which is a lot of pressure for anybody, let alone when you've got other things going on. Yeah. How did you manage all of that? I wouldn't say I managed very well. Okay. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was a joint effort, I think, with my family and me to sort of keep me at a level where I wasn't completely bananas, but mm. also able to do these things. Yeah. And why did you decide to talk about your mental health so openly? Because I think it's great that you have. I just think that it's helpful and I know that lots of people do it now and I think that you know people might get tired of people talking about it all the time but I, every time I talk about it I will get so many messages on Instagram from people saying it made me feel better about it and it made me feel safe and it made me feel like it's something that we can talk about in a nuanced way it doesn't have to be very serious you know of course what happened was really really terrible but a lot of it was really funny. I mean, I tried to get myself sectioned once mm. and I actually just had really bad PMS. Funny stuff did happen. Yeah. And yeah, I think the more we talk about it, the more normal it will become. Mm. And no one else will be in a position where they feel like they can't say they can't do something because of their mental health. How did you try to get yourself sectioned? <laughs> it was awful. So I was at my parents' house in Scotland and I just was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not well. And so I insisted on getting on a train to London. They were like, going what's going on mm. went to London got to London and I was like oh my god like this is it I've got to go back into the Priory so I like called them up and I was like get a bed ready I'm coming back in and they were like okay let's talk about this Where, what have you done and I'd just gone back from Berlin and they were like what happened in Berlin I was like oh I don't know like I went out and they were like okay great so number one <laughs> and then they were you like can see where this is going yeah and then they were like okay so um we have looked at your records and it's kind of at that time of the month when you get a bit stressed and I was like don't patronise me I was like on the phone crying in the middle of Parsons Green and then I got my period mm. and I went oh I've just got my period and they went yeah and do we think that this might have something to do with the fact that you've got your period and you just mm. got back from Berlin and I was mm. like oh fine fine <laughs> then I called my dad and I was like I'm coming back he was like you're coming back from London and I was like yes Oh my god. I know, but like that's the thing, when you've been so so sick and you get better, you're constantly worried you're gonna get sick again. Mm. So even the slightest bad mood or like being nervous about something, I'm on high alert that I'm gonna be really, really ill. Mm. Hence why I was just so convinced I was gonna have to section myself. And what's your relationship with Instagram like now and how are you kind of now mentally? Like do you feel like it's kind of leveled out? I barely ever Instagram anymore mm. and it's quite nice yeah you don't miss it I don't miss it I like I love Instagram stories mm. because you don't have to you don't get liked and I just it's so weird I think the dopamine is really addictive I think when you have a lot of followers and you don't get very many likes you're very aware that there's hundreds of thousands of people who have looked at the photo and not liked it mm. and that's what makes people feel bad yeah so now you're not instagramming that much anymore no and like people people sometimes are like i think that you're not taking advantage of something that lots of people would be incredibly grateful to have and obviously i'm very lucky to have this platform and i probably will 
end up using it in the future to promote the various things that I'm doing. But yeah. I just, I don't want to get to a point where I feel like I have to do it every day. And you've just written a new book. I have. Are yeah. you allowed to tell us anything about it? Yeah, I've, I've written a fiction novel. Wow. I know. Um, yeah, so I, I stopped working with my talent agent because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm... Sorry, no, it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I stopped working with my talent agent because I was like, I'm never going to do a show again. Or not for a while, anyway. Mm. So I went, I decided I was going to get a literary agent and I was going to write a book. So I sort of pitched myself around literary agents, went to go and meet mine, and she was like, oh, well, obviously you're going to write like a mental health memoir, that would make sense. And I was like, no, I really want to write the new Bridget Jones. She Hmm. was like, oh, God. (laughs) This is not what we were expecting. Yeah. So I just went away, and I wrote it, and it took so long, and it was so, so hard. And it's now absolutely not what I thought it was going to be. In what way? So it's sort of like, I would say it's a cross between Bridget Jones and Black Mirror, Okay. And it's very much around the theme of wellness. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely different to what I thought it was going to be. And what was the process of writing that like? Because I've heard writing a book is absolute hell. Hell. It was, because I've done the Edinburgh show, nothing I ever do ever again will be that hard. Mm. So I was like, I mean, this is hell, but... In a different way. In a different way. And... It just, it feels much less exposing, not it being my whole self mm. that's being sort of auditioned for likes. It's just my writing. Yeah. And because it's a character and it's not you. Exactly. And it's a character and it's not me. And I mean, it took so long. I thought I was going to just sort of like shit it out. Yeah. I was like, mm, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a writer. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It took me six months of just absolute hell graft. Yeah. And you had to be quite disciplined. Yeah, and I had to work while I was doing it because otherwise I wouldn't have any money. Yeah. I couldn't just take six months off and not do anything. Mm-hmm. So what were you doing in between? I do, well, I, I run a lot of people's Instagram accounts. Oh, really? From, from the back. Right, okay. Yeah. Which is really nice. So yeah. I technically refer to myself as a social media consultant. Whoa. But I'm not really sure what it, what it actually is that I do. Yeah. But, it's great because I don't have any of the stress mm. of it being me. And yeah, it sort of was a happy accident that I turned out to be quite good at. Yeah. And you're completely self-taught. Yeah, as exactly. A, as a social media consultant. Exactly. Learn on the job. But I've, I've also written a sitcom. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which is sort of loosely based on my time in the Priory. Mm. Um, which is really exciting. But yeah, just... And is that something that's in production... It's just, it's just been optioned. Okay. What yeah. does that mean? It basically means that I get paid some money now to mm-hmm. develop it. And money's good. Money's yeah, always nice. Money's always nice. Like, so often I get none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. how that feels. It's really weird, isn't it? Like, I think that being a writer is not really about writing. It's about waiting. Yeah. And it's about waiting to be paid. Mm-hmm. And waiting to get permission to write more. Like, every time I'm like, oh my God, this has happened. Mum goes... Does that mean you get paid? <laughs> like, it means I'm one step closer to getting paid. Yeah, maybe. There might yeah. be some money at the end of the trail. Maybe. And I'm like, it's, it's weird. So I bumped into this girl on the train a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I was like, oh God, you know, I'm just really worried about how I'm going to pay my rent. And she was like, you have so many followers on Instagram, like as if you're not rich. And mm. I was like, no, they don't give me money. Yeah. It's not like I'm like, hey guys, if you want to follow me, you have to all give me a pound. Yeah, that would be nice though. Oh my God, that would be the dream. <laughs> but it just it just doesn't work like that. And I think there's a real disconnect between how people who are on Instagram are perceived 
financially. I think people assume that everyone's absolutely loaded. I think everyone assumes that everyone is Zoella. Yeah. And it's not like that. I mean, like, 100,000 people following you is a huge amount of people. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean a huge amount of money. Yeah. And also, from your deliciously stellar time, do people recognise you in the street? Yeah. What was that like? I mean, I hate it. Do you? I absolutely hate it. It's fine, I think, if I'm in a really good mood. Mm. If I'm in a bad mood, or if I'm in a rush, Mm -hmm. or if I'm really drunk, I absolutely hate it. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than being really hammered, Mm. but knowing that someone knows who you are, and you're really hammered. Yeah. And you... Do you feel like you always have to be on your best behaviour? Oh my god, when I was at Glastonbury, I wanted to die. <laughs> so I was at Glastonbury, living my best life. As you do. As you do, like not in a great way. <laughs> and I, lo- I lost my driving licence in the mm. sort of smoking area in NYC Downlow. Okay. And I tapped this girl on the shoulder and I was like, I'm so sorry, I was just sitting here and I've lost my driving licence. <laughs> and she goes, are you deliciously stellar? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, sorry. And she goes, everyone, deliciously stellar's <laughs> lost her wallet. <laughs> And everyone in the smoking area went, oh my God! And it's because there's such high concentrations of middle class people at Glastonbury yeah. and they are my absolute team. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, no, no, I have no eyes. I'm so sweaty. I'm so gross. All my friends are standing next to me like hell, yeah. hell creatures. Yeah. And they were like, B, this isn't good. I was like, I know. I need to get out. I need to get out. I was like, fuck the driving license. Did I you need find to it? leave. I did. That's I good. found it. And then I called my sister and I was like, I need to come and hang out with you for a bit. She was like, oh dear. I need to lay low for a little while. (laughs) I need to lay low and just not be around anyone. She was like, oh dear God. Yeah. Is it kind of annoying for you that people know you for one thing if you're trying to like get away? I mean, it's it's fine because I'm so proud of the thing. Yeah. It was really, really brilliant. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't really know for a while how I was going to transition out of it. Mm. I was like, will anyone ever take me seriously as a writer? Mm. Like, will I ever be able to do anything else? Yeah. And that's kind of why I stopped the Instagram. Mm. Because I was like, I'll, it was like a sort of millstone around my neck. It was like I was you know, much less successful Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just, I didn't want to be stellar forever. But have you had any of the clean eating brigade trying to put a stop to it? Not since Ella. What do you mean? Ella wasn't wasn't my biggest fan. Oh really? No. What did she publicly try and? No, she didn't publicly do anything. She didn't want to acknowledge that I existed. I think, which mm. is fine. So many people did not like me. Really? Yeah. Like I mean, I would always be fine until I ended up in like a sort of. It was the Guardian actually that really didn't like me. It was the. the I'm co- really surprised about that. Yeah. So the Guardian itself, I think, were fine. It was the commenters in the Guardian. Mm, okay. I, mean, I mean, you shouldn't read the comments, but obviously you do. Yeah. And um, I mean, people were just really, really vile, and they were just like, I don't know why she thinks she's in a position to take piss out this woman. Like she's really rich as well, and mm. they'd sort of like plucked these nonsense figures out of absolutely nowhere, mm. and were sort of claiming that my parents owned like half of Scotland, <laughs> and they were like, I mean, cool, but no. Yeah, and it's just. Things that people had like dug up. Yeah, about like, you. but just absolute trash. And I was like, I mean, why do you care? This is so weird. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in the Daily Mail, everyone said I was fat and ugly, but. It's the Daily Mail. It's the Daily so, Mail. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that, was, that was to be expected. But I thought that The Guardian might be like, oh, yeah, well done. Go yeah. you. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, my God. But there was a lot of positivity that came out. There was. Day. There was so much. I was actually never really trolled, apart from once, mm. by um, some teen swimmers. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
some teens women got really upset and they were like, you're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. And they got really, really angry. And I, I just poured a bottle of Sunny Delight on my head, I think, to say juice cleanse. Right. And I was like, I mean, I didn't even drink it. Yeah. Like, calm down. Mm. And all of these sort of middle-aged women went to bat for me and mm. started this fight in my comment section with the, with the swimmers. <laughs> and I just ended up having to block everyone. <laughs> Just like all of you, get out! Like, just everyone go away. Take Shh. this somewhere else. This is a safe space. <laughs> yeah, it was mad. But that was pretty much the only, the only proper trolling that I got. Yeah, I think people who didn't like it just stayed away from it. Mm. Yeah, but you had a lot of um, celeb fans. Oh no, I did. Davina. Oh my god, Davina, love her. Did you ever meet Davina? I never met her, but she would message me and just be like, "Hi, love, how are you? How are you doing?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" With so her ten pack. Yeah, with she her was ten loving pack. it. She's so good. Yeah. Like, what a great lady. Yeah. What other celeb um, fans did you? Oh have? my god! So Ashton Kutcher, that was really good. Oh my gosh, that was the best. Um, did he message you? He like tweeted about me. Um, so, but yeah, like lots of lots of like British foodies mm. really into it. Jamie Oliver, he was a big fan. That was great. I was gonna do um, a comedy sketch with him, but then we couldn't quite get there. Oh no! I know it was really annoying. Yeah. But yeah, no, he was really into it. But what I need to know is, did you ever get on Raya? I'm on Raya. You're on Raya. I'm on Raya. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Who's on Raya? Oh my god. Oh my god. So many good people. Joshua Jackson's on Raya. He's so famous. <laughs> Craig David's on Raya. Craig David's on Raya. Yes. Who else have I seen on Raya? Oh, I was actually talking about this yesterday. I find it so funny. I Raya... think this is the best thing that deliciously Stella's got you is that you can get on Raya and see all these people. Honestly, Raya is a bait of pigs. <laughs> Everyone on Raya is so bad. They all like use their headshots. Yeah. Everything is black and white. Everyone has to pick a, a trap to like soundtrack their their profile oh my god and it's oh my god it's absolutely awful <laughs> it's absolutely awful always like sort of like 40 year old men with skateboards like with like hip hop uh. tracks and you're like Ugh! and then Craig David <laughs> and then Craig David um god who else have I seen Lily Allen's on Rayo yeah loads of people are on Rayo <laughs> Rayo is the best <laughs> I wish I was on Rayo but I, I only got on, got on Rayo through like a weird default so when I was I went to my school reunion mm. and a girl oh, who I was obviously at school with um, knew one of the PRs who started Raya. Right, okay. And she was like, I should get you on this. Yeah. And you were like, yes. And I was like, absolutely. So now I'm there on Raya, just <laughs> lurking. Have you ever been on a date from Raya? <sighs> no, I haven't because I just, I, there's no one on there who looks like they could possibly have a sense of humour. Oh. And, but I have to pay to be a member. I'm so willing for that. I'm just like, I need to be on it. Because yeah. It just brings me so much joy. Yeah. Oh my god. It's so good. I want to be on it. When you went to your school reunion and people were like, so you're doing this Instagram thing now. It was my birthday. <laughs> yeah. So everyone sang me happy birthday. And like my the old... worst. <laughs> it was really the pits. Like my headmistress singing me happy birthday. I was like 30. I was like, oh my god, this is the worst. And... <laughs> And um, yeah, it was it was so odd. But everyone was so excited. My sister actually went to hers, and mm. she said that all anyone spoke about was me. And she was so annoyed. And I was like, I mean, yeah, to be fair, that must be the bit. Yeah. <laughs> that all they did was talk about you, rather yeah, than her they, being like, I'm doing so great too. But it's so weird. I mean, like that school's produced like sort of the sort of the most foremost minds of our generation, <laughs> and they're like, but Bella has got a really popular Instagram. <laughs> this is what you need to aspire to, girl. Yeah, exactly. They're like, isn't it amazing? <laughs> like, thanks, guys. But I would go, I would go into these meetings. Like, bearing in mind, I was mad as well. So yeah. I was going into the meetings mad. They were like. Oh, do you get nervous like before you 
go on stage? And I was like, yeah, I'm really nervous. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, you know, better be careful. Don't want to end up in a mental hospital. And I was like there with my priory slippers in my backpack. Oh my gosh. So they had no idea. Oh, they had absolutely no idea. But they'd also, they'd get me in and they were like, you know, Channel 4 commissioners went to a production company and they went, we just want Bella Younger. We just want a vehicle with Bella Younger just sorted out. And mm-hmm. I went in and they went, oh my God, she's posh. And I was like, surprise. <laughs> and they were like, no, we can't do posh. And I was like, well, as if TV doesn't do posh, basically everyone, everyone on TV is posh. And they were like, no, we're really moving away from posh at the moment. Like, unless you can change your voice. No more Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. Like, Got to move away from that. I was like, no, I mean, I think it would be a little bit disingenuous to change my voice. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to do like a sort of early Jack Whitehall. Like, <laughs> and then, then have to reveal the truth. Yeah. That will be the Daily Mail headline. Yeah. Belly Younger actually posh actually posh yeah surprise oh my god it was awful and that that was just the comment so often is that your real voice well yeah it is oh my god yeah and I was like god I don't even think it's that bad anymore like that's not something I would have expected yeah people to say to you I know maybe it was just an excuse maybe they were actually thinking like face for radio oh my god (laughs) or just like this woman is clearly utterly talentless (laughs) So they asked you to change your voice. Yeah, they asked me to change my voice. It's just, it's so weird because so many factors come into it. Mm. Before someone decides to make you a TV star, Mm. it's like, is her voice too posh? Or, you know, is she like attractive enough? Or is this the right time? Does it have longevity? It's just, it was so difficult. Mm. I can't tell you how many pilots I made Mm. and how much work went into trying to make the TV thing happen. And it just didn't. Yeah. And I'm actually quite relieved now. Mm. That it didn't, because it did make me really, really anxious. Yeah. What were you worried about, in particular, with the TV? I think it was just, it was just so me, and I was really worried about having to be on all the time. Mm. And the beauty of being a writer, I think, is that you get to remain sort of crotchety and vile some of the time, Mm. which I think is sort of necessary for me to function. Yeah. But, I mean, if I was a TV presenter, and I had to just be enthusiastic about everything yeah it would be too much yeah if it's too much of yourself you mean yeah just too much of myself and um just being being a personality Mm. is not something that I think I would want to do yeah full time I don't know how well people like Davina or like Fern Cotton do it I think it just must be incredibly tiring Mm. especially because when you said people would recognise you and you wouldn't like it. And yeah. that would start to happen more and more. Oh my God, that would happen all the time, yeah. Mm. And it just actually made me feel uncomfortable. And I think there's always a risk when you make your personality such a focus mm. that people sort of forget about what you your actual talents are. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm funny and I'm a good writer and you know these are actual skills, but I'm just becoming famous for being me. Yeah. And that's not what I wanted. And in hindsight, what do you think is the biggest thing you learned from your ins- your time being I think on Instagram? With hindsight, I think I didn't realise that it would be absolutely fine for none of it to exist. If everything went away right now, I'd be completely fine. Mm. But in the middle of it, I was like, if everything goes away, I will like die. It will be the worst thing that's ever happened. Mm. But I was just so convinced that not being sort of zeitgeisty anymore would be the end of days. Yeah. But now I'm just like, oh God, what a relief. Yeah. What an absolute relief to not just be sort of battling for this moment in the spotlight that you think is going to get taken away from you and never come back. Yeah. That you always have a second chance. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hear Her Out and thank you to Bella for being so open about her mental health with us this week. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you haven't rated the podcast five stars yet, now is your chance. It really does help other people to find the podcast and if you're feeling really generous, please leave me a review letting me know what you think. Your comments really do make my day. Next week on the podcast, we'll be hearing from Leanne Maskell, the 26-year-old former Vogue model behind the explosive new book, The Model Manifesto. See you next week.